Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where I am here with my good friend, Brett Coromines. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm hanging in, buddy. Uh, as per usual, always looking forward to our Thursdays chatting soccer. So I'm ready to dig into it, especially because uh, one of our favorite teams, the Gambler's Dream, uh, has a big matchup that we're going to talk about a little bit. So I'm very excited to get excited about them since there's nothing to get excited about whenever we talk about Everton or your club at this point, Chelsea. <laughs> oh, was Chelsea in the news? I might have an opinion, but I'm going to hold it for at least 20 minutes while we cover yeah, the rest some of it. Things ha- I don't know if you noticed this, but things have been happening at your club over the last year and another thing just happened. So yes. I know you're kind of, you kind of, you don't really follow along anymore even know where the Chelsea Reddit page is. So I can try to fill you in as we go along here. Yeah. Long, uh, long succession of boring events and boring days here at <laughs> Chelsea football club. Uh, but not just getting excited about soccer this week, Brad, I've got to say I closed last week's show with enjoy baseball because we recorded on opening day and I am really enjoying baseball. The rule changes are incredible. Like the Delta in last year and slash last hundred years of MLB experience versus what we've seen in the first week. It's a wide gap, which of course led me to think that soccer and the premier league is darn near perfect. Like I don't think it needed the level of improvement that major league baseball did, but are there rooms of tweaks? Like now that we've seen just how much better major league baseball made their product. When you look at the premier league or soccer in general, are there any little rule tweaks that you could come up with that you think would make the beautiful game even more beautiful? I do think that there are some teams that when they play there's the ball is in play for like a sneaky little about a, a little amount of time. Um, like I, the, we, we kind of take it for granted just because things move fast, but like between teams lining up for set pieces and throw-ins there's a lot of time for time wasting. Um, I, I know that's one thing that also just really gets to me is like goalkeepers getting yellows because they just take 35 seconds to like boot the ball downfield. Um, so uh, we talked about this a little during the world cup and I, I'm just intrigued by it. We, we kind of liked it because it was just, you know, it's more soccer, um, but the real time extra time, I think, would initially be terrible, but I also think it would stop out some of the time wasting habits we see at the end of games. If players knew that that time was just going to be added second per second, because right now in the premier league, if it's the 88th minute and you're up one nil and somebody comes within three feet of you and maybe looks like they touched your calf and you go down for two and a half minutes, that doesn't get added on adequately to like extra time. So would you actually go all the way then, Brett? Would you move to just an in-play clock? Call it 60 minutes only when the ball's in motion rather than 90 minutes with all this black magic of stoppage time and make it a little more clear for the people at home? 
Uh, I think I think if you go to like the 60 minutes with the ball only in play type of clock, you risk the purest arguments of like things kind of change a little bit. At least there's nobody who makes any more purest arguments than in baseball, and they should be shouted down by the masses right now. Well, so, yeah, well, I mean, just the pitch because clock, it's pure doesn't mean yeah. it shouldn't change. No, I agree. I agree 100. I, I guess like the way that I would look at it is, I would kind of like to see what real time extra time would look like in the premier league for one season <laughs> and, and just get a baseline of what it does. Does it stomp out some of the stuff that we don't like that most casual fans say is a turnoff to soccer. I don't know if I'd go full on to that whole, the clock only moves and the balls in play um, just because I think like the extra real time, extra time would be self-correcting eventually. Like, like I said, Guys wouldn't go down for three minutes if they just found out through game after game that three minutes then went on the clock in extra time. And so I think like it's a way that it would stomp a lot of that stuff out. Um, and plus it would be more soccer. I think we'd get, you know, we had a, a few of those like crazy 99, you know, minute goals in the, in the world cup. Like if that stuff is deciding champions league places and titles, I think it'd be kind of fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, it's kind of the one thing that I think of a little bit. And then obviously the big one, the most massive one is if like somebody kicks a ball at your arm and you're in the corner of the penalty area and that, which would be a shot that would be worth about maybe 0.01 XG, but now it gets converted to a penalty, which teams convert about four fifths of the time, basically. I definitely would like to see the area in which actual spot kicks, you know, get rewarded. I think that area needs to close down because it is just too often. We see games change because some players diving at a cross and his hand just happens to be in an unnatural motion. And then a guy kicks it, uh, kicks it at his hand and it becomes a penalty when crosses lead to shots, like a minuscule amount of the time. And then all of a sudden you take it to basically what's like an auto goal, right? So I would very much like to see that rule imposed because I just think it just breaks open games unnecessarily. And it's just not a fair and just reward for the the foul that's given. Yeah, I think there's a lot of space within the rule set uh, around what you're talking about, like aligning the, the punishment with the crime. Um, I think there's also something similar in VAR, right? Like if you're not gaining any sort of attacking advantage whatsoever because your left toe is slightly ahead of the guy in front of you, which led, it had nothing to do. Like your your left toe, just the toenail could be ahead of somebody and then you could turn and bicycle kick the goal in. And they're like, well, I mean, clearly he had an advantage because of the toenail. It's like, <laughs> no, toenail. it was, a, it was yeah. a spectacular goal. So there's there's room to explore there. I do think that, you know, bright lines and things like that are also have value. So that's not where I went with my changes. I took more of my direct inspiration from baseball because baseball, when they were tweaking the rules, seemed to be mainly about making the game better for spectators, um, both in terms of time and excitement. So my equivalent to like trying to lead the more sport is stolen bases, which is just a super fun part of baseball, is kick-ins. Uh, Forget throw-ins, let's go to kick-ins. But I think that you also have to combine the clock here, right? You, mm-hmm. Because if we just allowed kick-ins, everything would turn into a set piece and the ball would be in uh, play even less often. 
So something along the lines of you're allowed to kick the ball in instead of throwing in, but you have to do it within 10 seconds or five seconds or whatever the correct number is. So you throw a clock on that and you don't allow people to just, you know, do these elaborate set pieces every single time the ball gets knocked out. But I do think it would be more exciting to watch, you know, Kevin DeBrunia hit a 60 yard cross that curls into the box or actual action right in the goal mouth than it is like throwing it backwards to a fullback for five yards just to return it to him to start leading to an attack. Yeah, I mean, I think that actually is uh, an interesting road to go down too because when you go to talk about throw-ins, I mean, how many times do you see, uh, and this this isn't even like leads change, games tied in the 40th minute kind of stuff, where a guy, you know, they a, a, a winger will get it immediately, look to throw it in, and he drops it. The fullback kind of dawdles up and gets it. Then he's looking and he's trying to steal every yard he can as he moves downfield, just trying to throw it. And then, like you said, he just turns around, throws it to a center back. I would think like something akin to a pitch clock, the ball goes out of touch and you got 10 seconds, no matter what, to get it back in. Well, which I think is twofold. One, if I remember reading correctly about throw-ins, throw-ins that are taken quicker have a higher chance of being retained possession anyways. So like the fact, like when you watch like Liverpool famously hired uh, that uh, Danish throw-in coach, like one of the things that Liverpool does pretty standard is they get the ball in quick. Like that ball goes into touch. They have somebody on it and they're throwing it in. They're getting it back into play as quickly as possible. But then you see a team like Everton's a perfect example of this. <laughs> they, you know, the ball got a touch there. It's like a 30 minute adventure for someone to get the fullback and then somebody to body somebody up and just lob it down the pitches after you try to steal every yard. I think like something akin to the pitch clock specifically with throw-ins to would be great because that, that is the most unexciting part. I mean, you're talking about changing it to kick-ins. That is literally the most unexciting part to me. Like even long throws where teams try to score a goal off them. I know like Brentford has done it a couple of times, but like nobody wants to see a throw-in. Like nobody cares about throw-ins. Put a clock on it. Get the ball back in. That's what we want to see. Yeah, and I might even extend it one uh, further and say there should be a corner clock as well. Like yeah. The amount of yeah. jostling that happens in the box as they try to do these setups and things like that. Like You could take 30 seconds, 45 seconds off that and not really change the outcome as we just watch guys kind of shove each other as they either grab a rest or jostle for position. Mm-hmm. So um balls like that like on the sideline throw-ins kick-ins whatever we do slash corners let's just get it moving a little bit faster but otherwise let I me mean, let's be honest like the the game the schedule the fans everything about what we love is virtually perfect right now so we're just talking because it's a podcast and that's what we get paid to do yeah no i mean it's it's a great sport and i hope we attracted some new fans of the world cup that are really enjoying it so yeah, it, it doesn't really need changing. There'd just be you know, those little things that we could always complain about and make them better. And I also love that baseball is gaining in popularity because like, oh, shorter things are better. It's like, yeah, you mean like soccer? Yeah. You mean like <laughs> games that are under two hours are an yeah. amazing sporting experience? Like, yeah. welcome to the revolution, American friends. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Screw these games of anticipation. Yeah. Give me action. I- well, speaking of action, let's go ahead and get to this week's action. Uh, one top five matchup this week, and our top, I'm sorry, big six matchup. So let's go ahead and start there because it is definitely not top five given Liverpool's current form. 
Uh, so our friends at Liverpool are eighth at 43 points versus Arsenal first at 72 points. This game is Sunday at 11:30 a.m. Caesars has Arsenal at plus 140, Liverpool at plus 170, the draw at plus 260. Arsenal minus half a goal is plus 130, and Liverpool is minus 170. So, Brett, uh, Liverpool is truly lucky that Chelsea are in the league because at almost any other point in time in almost any other season, the main topic of conversation would be how dreadful they are right now. The <laughs> amount of space that Manchester City got on the ball in the final third last weekend was like truly shambolic because Manchester City was just passing the ball around as if it was a training exercise. Didn't matter if it was over them, through them, around them. It, did, it They just passed it until the ball was in the back of the net four different times on effective tap-ins. Then somehow Liverpool follows that up with an even worse performance against Chelsea, despite what the scoreline said. They generated almost zero attack in that game and couldn't defend. And if Felix, Kova, and Havertz were even dreadful finishers, they would have had at least one each, but they're currently below that level. So what the hell is happening here? I know we like to play our Liverpool back and things like that, but they look cooked to me like right right now. If you take the names and the badge off the kits, they look like an MLS squad. So why should I believe they're suddenly going to bounce back against the league leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think the United match kind of fooled us a little bit in, in two ways. One, I think you're talking this about is when, you're talking about when they beat United 7-0 seven like nil. or so ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And so I think I think this is a thing. I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, I, I like to pretend that I'm like I'm a quasi-data expert, but I'm not. Um, I think their home away split is a thing. Um, they have 30 points at Anfield and they have 13 away. And so you're looking like this, there is something to the fact that when they're at Anfield, something is different, something is better, more so than normal. Um, so part of the reason was that match was, was at Anfield. The other thing was we have talked, um, about their midfield on and on basically Hendo's last stand kind of stuff. Um, and they wear that midfield wears out, uh, is just hurt. And in that game against United Harvey, Elliott did something that he doesn't normally do. Elliott is really good at progressively moving the ball up field, being a threat in the final third. He is not. Uh, N'Golo Conte, any stretch of the imagination. But in that match, he was. And so when you talk about repeatability, like that was something that he did. He covered up a huge glaring weakness for Liverpool in one singular match. We haven't seen it since. And guess what? The results haven't been the same either. So like, I think that we are on to something with the fact that their midfield is dead but there still might be something to this home magic, um, which is probably why the Lions are how they are. Uh, I, I just don't, I just think their midfield is so like running out of gas at this point, And it's so exposes your favorite target on Liverpool, Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, yeah, his, his inability to make a recovery run and just let like danger men get these tap ins. It's, it's, it's inexcusable. It's, I've said it before. You made fun of me for saying it, but it's Russell Westbrook trying to put up triple doubles and playing. <laughs> I didn't zero make fun of you. I just whatsoever. laughed at the analogy. I didn't yeah, make I mean, fun of you at all. I mean, he's a defender who's refusing to defend. 
Yeah. And I mean, again, a part of it is midfielders have covered up that deficiency for a long time for Liverpool. Um, and now they just don't do it. I mean, Hendo pretty much run. I mean, part of the reason we saw the city result that we did was it was pretty typical. Hendo runs out of gas 45 or 60 minutes into a match. Like he just doesn't have the legs to go 90 minutes and cover a ton of ground anymore. And the minute that he hits E that midfield is just gashed because Fabinho isn't the same. Elliot isn't a defensive type player. Uh, you know, Nabi Kate is never available. Diago's out. Pesetic, who kind of plugged that gap a little bit when they had another little uptick, is hurt. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely exposes Trent. It makes all his deficiencies look way worse. Um, and, I, I mean, I just don't think they can get away. Even at home, even if this home road away split is a thing, I don't think they can get away from it. Arsenal has been taking care of business. You're the, the, the Manchester city attacker. You probably stare longingly at because you bought your team, brought the wrong one is back. He's scoring. He's taking penalties. Like, I just don't think Liverpool is going to get away with it. So I was all Arsenal all the time for this match. I took them both money line and I went immediately to the Jesus anytime goal scoring number. He took three shots in 59 minutes. He took the penalty. He had 1.1 uh, non-penalty expected goal off his chances in their last match. Like he's back. That's just another dimension for Arsenal to be awesome. <laughs> like yeah. I think Liverpool's kind of in trouble. So uh, I think there was good value on taking Arsenal money line and then definitely good value on Jesus. Uh, we are completely aligned. Uh, I am a hundred percent taking the Arsenal money line. I can't believe it's plus one forty. Yeah, they, it uh, it's really high. I, like, forget about the cop magic right now. After what I saw in the last week, that has to be the sole thing you're banking on. And to bank on a team that is this depleted, that is this out of gas, that is this like completely in tatters. It seems like behind the scenes, you have Klopp making six change. Not, uh, yeah, yeah. You have Jurgen Klopp making six changes versus Chelsea midweek. So he watched that city match. He saw how bad they play. He tried to send a message to their squad. I mean, I know they got a, a nil nil draw, but well, the XG was what, like 2.2 to 0.3. Like they were wildly outplayed at Stanford bridge after yeah. making six changes. Yep. So does he have six more changes? Like he doesn't have that deep of a squad. So nope. what can he possibly I mean, do? Curtis here? Jones got pulled out of mothballs during that match. So it was crazy. And so if he doesn't have any other answers and like, it, it's, it's so bad at Anfield right now that there's a, le- there was a legitimate discussion thread. I saw this week. It says, is the reason Chelsea uh, hired a caretaker manager is because Klopp's going to get fired and they're going to make a run at him. And like, it was, it was not in the onion. It was not in some sort of like French rag. It was a legitimate discussion that was happening. And the fact that, you know, things have fallen that far, that fast for that absolute legend is nuts. But at the same time, like, I don't know what the fix is. Like Jude Bellingham, I'm not sure if they are going to win that race versus City or Madrid. And even if they did, they're not one Jude Bellingham away. Like they're going to need a squad overhaul because there's just cracks absolutely everywhere. And he doesn't have enough fingers for that many cracks in that dam. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I I think that is the one saving grace for Klopp, though, is that it is pretty obvious to most everybody and this is probably why he hasn't taken a public pressure there's not a lot of pressure to fire him that this like you said this team is in dire need of not just one body to come save him it is multiple starting level players that need to come into this side 
to give them some energy. I think that 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 fact is fairly obvious is probably Klopp's saving grace right now. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so I'm on the money line. I mean, Arsenal, like, I, it's almost unfair to them that we spent this entire uh, segment talking about the deficiencies of Liverpool rather than the excellence uh, yeah. at Arsenal. <laughs> Sorry, um, Arsenal fans. But but they look absolutely up for this challenge of holding off City, and they were fantastic in just dismantling leads. Like, Jesus got the brace that you've already mentioned, marked his true return from his longstanding injury. Xhaka, Zinchenko, Odegaard amazing as playmakers. Martinelli was just a luminescent down the left. Even Trissard made them not even miss Saka in that game. Like they were just outstanding. So I'm not overthinking it. I'm taking the money line and my eyes went to a similar place as yours uh, on the props immediately went to Jesus. But instead of taking him on the uh, anytime, I looked at the shots on target because after watching Havertz get all the space in the world and then Van Dyke possibly not being uh, in this match, I think his uh, Jesus's excellent movement and that playmaking that I just described is going to lead to a lot of opportunities. Uh, so two shots on target is my official prop pick at plus 125. But if you want to look at three, you want to look at four, you want to really get after it with like plus 300 to plus like 700 odds as the shot count goes up. Uh, I don't think that's a bad bet whatsoever because they are going to have the majority of the ball. Uh, They're going to run over the midfield. The defensive third for Liverpool is extraordinarily poorly managed. And Allison is going to be very busy in front of goal uh, on Sunday. Yeah. I, I mean, we are, like you said, we're in lockstep buddy on this one. I don't even, I don't have anything to, to point out that you haven't already covered. Cool. Zinchenko is also 500 for an assist. Another one I like. Uh, Well, as I look through a couple more bets that I like, let's go ahead and give our good friends at Caesars some love with a quick break. Your very first bet with Caesars Sportsbook, it's on Caesars. Just sign up with promo code OMAHAFULL, O-M-A-H-A-F-U-L-L. Then place your first bet. If you win, great. You keep your winnings. But if your first bet loses, you'll receive your stake back as a bonus bet. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Okay, we are back and we are heading to Manchester United. Fourth at 53 points versus Everton. 16th at 27 points. This game is Saturday at 7.30 a.m. Caesars has Manchester United minus 210. Everton is plus 600. The draw is plus 320. Manchester United on the adjusted line of minus a goal and a half is plus 127. And Everton is minus 165. So uh, I loved Everton's game last week because it was hilarious. Not only did they get the draw that I gave out on last week's uh, picks versus Tottenham, they did it in the funniest way possible of Tottenham subbing on a guy who immediately gets sent off when they already have a man advantage, only to concede a screamer of a goal a minute later at the very end of time. And it was uh, Keane who had it, right? Who had a just wild game. Michael Keane. Michael Keane saves the ball off the line, then gives up the penalty that led to the one goal for Spurs, and then scores from outside the box in the 90th minute to get the draw. So kudos to him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, then on the other side, Manchester United, like we were talking a little bit before we got here, that Brentford game, it sounded like you weren't buying it, and I wasn't really buying it either. They got the one goal off the corner where Rashford, you know, gets a ball. It gets uh, pinned back in after a pretty bad clearance. He gets knocked down. Uh, he gets, you know, an easy finish, and that's the one goal. McTominay blazed over the bar. Fred blazed over the bar. They were blowing early, easy opportunities. They absolutely should have given a goal up on a 1v1 where De Gea ended up getting trucked because the attacker just, for no reason, just ran square into him, even though he was clear to the goal. Uh, but it wasn't an impressive performance. I think that we keep talking about him, but we keep talking about him for a reason. Casemiro's absence is absolutely yeah. making a difference in this Manchester United team. And I don't see them um, being able to blow out Everton to the point where I would take the adjusted line. So if I'm not willing to take the adjusted line on a goal and a half at the plus 127, then I got to lay minus 210 for them to win when the range of outcomes is pretty tight, when uh, they haven't been that impressive offensively. So, Brett, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again in an Everton game here. Shout out to the draw, baby. Plus 320. <laughs> I know it's your favorite, the coward's way out. I don't like to do it very often, but with the numbers in front of me here, it's absolutely the best value that I can see. Oh, man, Toby. This game is the most boring show ever. Um, <laughs> I, I it's got a lot of competition. Yeah, yeah, it's true with every other one. Um, I thought very hard about taking the Everton money line. I actually do think there's value there, um, but I did land at the draw as well. Um, and and part of it is, I think when you go back, so the outside numbers look bad in terms of like, oh, United's righted the ship against Brentford. They outshot him 18 to six. Um, the expected goal difference was about double. But the thing is, is that they weren't like the shot total was a little misleading in the fact that they weren't taking very good shots. Like Rashford was probably arguably the best chance. And Anthony had five shots, which is the most on United, but only for for 0.3 expected goals. So that means that he was taking shots that had a 6% chance of going in each time that he took them. That's not good. Most most high level attackers are, are around that like, 10 to 15% chance in the shots that they get, uh, like 0.1, 0.15 XG. 
Um, so it was, well, he was he was hitting like these like twenty five yard bombs that he was trying to curl into the bottom corner. Right. And he was he was just wildly off. So I mean, I didn't hadn't looked at the math on it, but in watching the game, like he was lively and he was active and he was aggressive, but he was not accurate or endangering the goal mouth in any way, shape, or form. Right. And, and you can and you can imagine a team as smart as Brentford also was okay with this. This was very much, and I'm going way back on this one, Toby, you ready for this? This was very much the Spurs, Tony Allen defense, the let them shoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause they, and then, and Brentford's right to do that, right? Like if, if you're giving a guy a bunch of 6% chances by all means, like one of them might go in, you might lose whatever, but if you can allow him to do that and you take away better chances for everybody else, it's the right way to play. And Brentford is a very smart forward thinking club. So you better bet that they were saying anytime he's outside of the box, let him rip from 25. We know that that's a very low probability shot. Right. Um, and the other thing about Brentford is a, they're a weird team and that they're, they're obviously good. Their underlying numbers are good. Their place in the table is good. But like when you look player for player, there are a lot of players that I like, like Ivan Tony's great. I especially love that he gambles. You should come on the show and talk about his gambling. Um, I think Christian Norgaard's really good and really underrated. Like David Rye is a pretty good goalkeeper. Ben Nee's like a solid defender, but like, you know, no one jumps out at you on this Brentford team. So they have a tendency to, to just have matches where they just get worked because their players like aren't that good. Um, they're just a smart club that utilize things correctly. They score well on set pieces. Tony's had a great year. Um, so I just wasn't buying this result without Casemiro is basically what I'm getting to. And so when I look at Everton too, like they, they took it to Spurs. I, I don't know if you were sad enough like I was to watch that match. And I did, but even when Everton went a man down, they were taking it to Spurs. Oh, yeah. It was sad. Like I yeah. legitimately was like, what, which team is the relegation candidate here? Um, and so I, I do think that Everton's been a lot better uh, once they ditched a certain manager who will come up later in the show. Um, I think Sean Dice has made them better. They're definitely more organized defensively. They definitely have like a plan with what they're trying to do, which is a pretty you know, good thing to have. Um, and they, and weird stuff happens when Everton plays United. This has happened for years since David Moyes, they eke out these draws. They get these wins at old Trafford. Like there's some weird Everton magic that my spreadsheets can't capture here. So I, I like the draw. I, I think even if you want to take the shot, I think it's a plus 600 for the money line. I think you can money line it. I think that's got value. Um, I'm just not sold on United and Everton are better. I don't think to Corey's red uh, from the, the Spurs game is going to matter all that much. Like they made a big deal out of it, but you know who has more shots per match than Dwight McNeil and Decore? Me when, me when watching Chelsea? Yeah. Shots up to definitely yeah. you when <laughs> watching Chelsea. You are, you are like three deep on that one. <laughs> but Michael Keane has eight shots in his last four matches. Toby, I have a prop bet, and it involves that same Everton legend, which I've been saying on the pod for years. Everybody knows it. Michael Keane's my favorite, but he's plus 900. Uh, Frank Lampard, 
has called him one of the best finishers on the club when he was managing Everton. Uh, so that's pretty much my that, sole reasoning behind this bet. That no, says uh, so much about Keane, Lampard, and Everton. Everton, all in one, all in one sentence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's plus 900, and uh, they have been like running plays basically for him. I mean, Dyche, obviously, this has been his M.O. Get those center backs up. It was Ben Me and Tarkovsky before Ben Me and Tarkovsky. Michael Keane was at Burnley. Um, they got the same playbook going. And Keane has been really dangerous. I mean, eight shots in four matches for the center back. He's taking one and a half per 90 for the year overall. Like that's literally more than most midfielders, good attacking midfielders take. Um, so I, I think a plus 900, if Everton's going to score to stay in this game, you really got to look for him as the most likely guy to do it at this point. <laughs> so I'm taking the plus 900. I, I think it's the prop to go with. Oh my gosh. I kind of want to change my bet now. A plus 900 is their best offensive option. And I'm taking them to get on the board or <laughs> maybe nil nil will be my, uh, do, do be I my think will just hit some screamer for you from 30 yards out again. There Don't worry go. about it. Uh, I am taking one of my favorite bets because I saw a trend that I liked. We are heading back to it, Brett. We are heading back to a corner bet. Oh, boy. Corners over nine and a half at minus 122. With Casemiro out, they're playing a kind of more up and down style uh, naturally as a result of not being able to hold anything in the midfield when you have McTominay or Fred in there. Uh, And Dice is packing them in the back and playing this compact defense that they're going to attack over and over again. And when they don't play a big six team, they really try to get after it uh, a lot more at Manchester United. At least that's what uh, my eyes and some of the stats say. So against Brentford, there was 15 corners. Against Fulham, there were 13 corners. Against Southampton, there were 15 corners. Against Leicester, there were 12 corners. Those were all games like the last month or so. And those aren't even close to the 10. So I feel I've got like room to breathe here at minus 122 to just get to 10 corners. Pretty excited. Yeah. To- I, I actually, ahead. what I was going to say, I didn't get to this because I, you know, I, when Michael King comes up, I just get so excited, you know. Um, and the corners uh, situation was something that I was looking at as well, because United is weird in the fact that they're currently contending for a champions league spot. And typically those teams don't give up a lot of corners. They give up the sixth most in the league. Everton yeah. are worse than that with like the third most in the league. So these two teams genuinely generally combine to give up a lot of corners, which is great for your bet for sure. And also great for my bet. So yeah. It's a it's a win win. You could do both. Michael Keane over corners. Come on, everybody, just start <laughs> throwing that money in on Everton. Let's go. If you uh, if you want to go a different direction and you you do like Manchester United to maybe win by a goal here, uh, I like Rashford as a first goal scorer. Um, the anytime is plus one ten. It's a little crazy. Still getting a plus number, but because there might only be one goal in this match with a struggling United squad and a dice led defense, I think getting him at plus three fifty is great. And if you were watching that Tottenham game, they are having a lot of success down the left more than the right. They're getting a ton of space and Rashford will really take advantage of that. Well, I need to look at something now. I need to see this. I want to see what Michael Keane's first first goal score number is. And I'll tell you what, if one of our listeners takes that bet and it hits, I will build a statue of you live on the pod. You don't that have to a, worry about that because we don't have any listeners left of your 10 minutes on Michael freaking Keane. <laughs> Hold on. I need to find this number, though. This is going to be too good. 
Could you? Can you? Oh, you want to take at least a guess? Well, I have it up now. Uh, plus three thousand. Michael Keane as the first goal scorer is plus twenty five hundred. <laughs> Somebody take it and hit it and tweet at Toby once an hour on the hour with the highlight of the goal. Yeah, That's definitely tweeted me. I think my last tweet was about the Nationals winning the World Series or maybe UVA <laughs> losing in the 2016 NCAA tournament. So I'm your guy. <laughs> All right. Well, then tweet it at me and I will text it to him. <laughs> here, here is something I am your guy for. We'll get to the next game. Wolves, 14th at 28 points versus Chelsea, 11th at 39 points. Game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Chelsea is minus 105. Wolves are plus 300. The draw is plus 235. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 115. And the Wolves are also minus 115. Is this, All like, right. the cal- is this like the calm before the storm? Uh, I don't even have a storm left in me, Brett. Uh, what, <laughs> oh, that's so sad. What, so a, you. what a wild year. Um, obviously, like, we have the prodigal new, son returns. We have another manager change at Chelsea. And of all people, Frank Lampard is the one walking through that door. And so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, We're already a little long, so maybe I'll try not to get to all of them. But let me just start with this. Uh, Fans are part of the problem at Chelsea. Uh, Myself included, but more than me, everybody. The pressure that came on to fire the manager became like completely dominant and the status quo became untenable when the fans were chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning when he was losing Aston Villa. And that uh, I think directly led to a change in, in management. And it's not to say that Potter should stay. It's not to say that they were wrong. It's not to say that fans shouldn't express their opinion. Um, but Chelsea has done absolutely everything to change over in the last 18 months, right? You have, Almost an entire new squad of players. I mean, of course, there's some holdovers, but they have, what, like 20 signings during that period, if not more. You have an entirely new back back office. All the previous people were cleared out. You have an entirely new ownership group. You have multiple new management groups. And the only thing that remains the same at Chelsea is the fans. And we thought that it was going to be a dawn of the new day because of all the change because it was new uh, back office, because it was new owners, because Abramovich, uh, you know, Mr. Abramovich, who uh, did so much for the club, was gone, we thought this mercurial like management style would eventually end where we wouldn't just keep firing people. But lo and behold, we are right back there again. And it's because the fans don't change. And the fans have been fed so much red meat over the last 25 years or 20 years, whatever it is, of uh, change a manager, win a trophy, change a manager, win a trophy, change a manager, win a trophy. It's worked so many times, you can't take it out of the fans' brains. And now they are putting pressure on the club. And this time, this time, it was probably the right thing. Is it going to make a difference that Potter was fired now versus the end of the year? I don't know. But I do know that they brought in a guy who just got let go at Everton because he wasn't up to the uh, opportunity to manage a relegation level team to come on and take on Real Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinals like six days after he's hired. So that that's crazy. 
And that is pure fan servicing to try to wipe out the bad juju and the bad taste in everybody's mouth in order to restore some sort of balance because of the fans and because of the way that we all operate. So there's so much pressure now on the sporting directors and pressure is not necessarily a bad thing. I just hope that the sporting directors, the people who actually know what they're talking about more than me, more than you, more than 99.9% of season ticket holders and guys that are there, you know, pounding pints and eating pies, that they're allowed to conduct this search and do their job and hire someone that they really believe in for a long-term project. Because just firing, you know, Tuchel, then firing Potter, and then bringing in Lampard and doing this in six-month cycles is not hopefully how I have to live out the rest of my days. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you worked up here, but the thing that was odd to me is <clears throat> it was a very rushed decision and bully has prided himself a lot on the way these built up the Dodgers to be this forward thinking data driven team. Um, and, uh, you know, Potter was frustrating. He did weird like the. The thing is, this Potter does weird things, and part of it was he was probably trying to figure out this this roster that he inherited and that was changing over as he was coming on board. Even, um, but you know, they they handled Dortmund fairly well in the Champions League. It's the only thing left in their season, and so if he hadn't lost the locker room, you know, which we don't lose know, the locker room, he didn't. Yeah. So why are we, why are Chelsea basically saying, well, yeah, Frank Lampard is definitely going to give us the best chance. Now we've talked about the champions league in some ways, knockout tournaments in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways are like flipping coins for when teams are about equal talent level to get through. But like you clearly will not have any faith for, you are not going to be watching Frank Lampard's tactics masterclasses in the champions league here. That was the one thing that could have saved their season and they were still alive. And Potter had at least got them through that. That to me was the weird thing about the timing of the firing. Look, the Premier League was gone, but look, you look, still look, have look. a chance. Of uh, it. It's it's really simple. He didn't lose the locker room. He lost the press conference. Like yeah. him getting up in front of the mic and saying, "I well, I just don't know." The boys are really giving it their all out there. They they're doing it all for the club and like saying that in his mild manner way over and over again when delivering just piss poor results and sitting in the bottom half of the table. That is what was untenable. Like if he had shown real fire and passion, which isn't really his way, and showed that he was fighting for it and scrapping for it and bleeding for it and things like that, I think he would have made it to the end of the season, regardless of whether that had one iota of difference in his tactics on the field. Mm -hmm. So he lost this on PR more than he lost it from the players, more than he lost it on the pitch, more than he lost it anywhere else. And that's just who he is. And so it was a bad fit. And so like kudos by the way, it sounds like I'm I'm like down on this move. I'm not actually down on the move. I'm down on what it says about my club and its long-term prospects. But kudos for them to starting to learn. And it, the thing that they learned is it is worse to snap fire a coach and hire someone 24 hours later who turns out to not be a great fit um, than it is to bring in a caretaker, take a month, take a breath in a lost season and really do the job and do the work to bring in somebody who they think is going to be a fit for the club. And so that is what I'm hoping now in terms of the champions league, like you and I talk about it all the time, how little, how very few managers make a difference. And we're going to find out. 
Like, yeah. kudos to them for really like testing our hypothesis because they, you know, hired an absolute legend, uh, my second favorite player ever after Drogba, a guy I revere to come in and stand on the sidelines and clap. Who, by the way, his main tactic is like leaving the moving the team up the field, being more aggressive, and leaving them so goddamn open to counterattacks. <laughs> and they're doing this against maybe the best counterattacking team that we've seen in the last five years. Like Chelsea could have 90% of the possession and lose on XG and goals by like three to four, because they're going to be so open on the counter. This is going to be just a wild experience of watching Real Madrid sprint down the pitch unopposed on like three on ones, three times in this game. Oh, Vinicius Jr. Can't do anything in space. Toby, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, I think the the interesting thing for me to see is I thought, um, despite the results obviously being incredibly unlucky, I mean, I think they had over four, almost four and a half expected goals to like 1.2 in the last two matches. And <laughs> the score of those two matches was uh, two nil to the opponents. Yeah. Um, so they've clearly been unlucky. I do think that like the last formation we saw from them was their ideal formation. It was their two actual, like, good, I know you're going to say something about Havertz here, but their two actual good productive attackers, the a really, really strong midfield with Kova, Conte, Enzo, James and Chilwell as wingbacks, and then, you know, three center backs behind him. I think that's their best look. And that's usually, I mean, Frank's played a back three, but he usually goes to that just really lazy four, two, three, one. And that to me is just kind of a bummer because the one thing that you talk about with continuity is like this Chelsea team has been all over the place. I would have liked to see something like that, where you saw a similar starting 11 come out for a team. So you can then start making assessments of, okay, what are we going to do next? Because we know that these pieces work in this way and we can build around it because part of their transfer policy problem has been, we're just going to get this guy and then this guy sounds good. And then we'll get this guy and then we'll try to figure out how they work. And so I think the, the, the thing that worries me for you as the fan and my friend is that I think Lampard kind of doing his generic crap <laughs> that we saw at Everton is going to give them a step back in terms of their ability to assess and evaluate the roster. And not only might it cost them a chance to actually win what is kind of a fluky knockout round tournament, I think it's going to make it harder for them to assess things in the offseason. So, yeah. I, I yeah, it's your club is interesting. <laughs> well, uh, but I still think they're going to be Wolves to get back more on that topic. Yeah, I mean, fans are fans are very upset at the lack of goal scoring. And I'll just say it's so much easier to score when you're down three zero that I think that they found a way to solve the problem by hiring Lampard. I, I think they would have, <laughs> I, I I think they would have a better Garbage chance. Time. Of, I think they would have a better chance of winning the champions league given, you know, their inability to score. If they brought Lampard back as a player instead of a manager, like that would actually <laughs> be better for them. That is, that is my take on this hire as much as I'm going to love the vibes and the chance of super Frankie Lampard echoing around the bridge. Like this is kind of crazy from a, an on-field perspective. Um, but it's, it's great. Like it gives hope. So if you follow the pattern, so it, they went from Tommy uh, tactics, one of the five best managers in the world to Graham Potter to Frank Lampard. So if this doesn't work out, the next hire is probably Didier Dogba. 
They're going to bring him there on puppy and let him yeah. in. They're going to get an Aaron Bud situation. It will there fit we the, go. Fit the pattern. All right. So enough. That's enough of my thoughts that I wrote down. All that said, screw Wolves. They're bad. Um, I'm absolutely backing Chelsea here. New manager bounce minus 105. And it's not, it's not because it's Frank Lampard managing. It's not because they fired Graham Potter. It's not actually because of new manager bounce. It is regression. They have yeah. actually been really freaking good in terms Last of chance creation yeah. and defending. And as you pointed out, the Conte, Enzo, Kova, if they were roll that midfield out, they destroyed Liverpool. That mm-hmm. midfield destroyed Liverpool. And they mm-hmm. are so much stronger, even in their diminished state, than Wolves are. So if even like for Lampard to just roll the ball out and let his players go and like do the things that he's famous for, if they continue to have this chance creation and they continue to have this midfield presence and they continue to be pretty well organized in defense, they can't keep having zero zero draws. They can't keep losing two nil when they blow out opponents. I said it last week. I am willing to go broke emotionally and financially on continuing to bet this trend to turn around. <laughs> Eventually, the regression will come. I feel like a card counter right now. Like I'm at the blackjack table. I know that there's a ton of face cards in the deck, and you just have to keep putting the bets down because you know the numbers are there. So I'm not only taking Chelsea on the money line. Um, I'm taking Chelsea to win and both teams to score, which is an incredible plus 340. So if you think uh, Lampard is really going to press the attack, leave him open on the counter, Wolves nick one back, then you're getting plus 340 instead of minus 105 for them to win 2-1, 3-1, et cetera. Yeah, I I actually went the other direction. I'm I'm hopeful that Lampard isn't going to try to upset you know something that I thought was clearly working. Um, I'm hoping he at least can like clear that extra incredibly low bar and stick with that back three in that midfield if those guys are all healthy. Um, so I went with a clean sheet route after taking Chelsea on the on the money line. Um, it's plus two hundred for the clean sheet win. I mean, Wolves are bad. Like th- these are the four attackers that they play in their four two three one. It was John Moutinho, who's like 36 as a 10. It was Treore, uh, Matthias Kuna, and then it was um, Nunes. It was their other attacker, who's kind of more of like a midfielder. So, like, who are these guys? (laughs) I mean, you know, like, that's uh, Wolves are really bad. Like, I don't think we've really kind of gotten to the point. We're not talking very much about the talent drain here in Wolverhampton. Um, but that clean sheet number plus 200 going up against that group. If Frank is like smart enough to stick with that midfield in some form or fashion just seems too good to be true. Uh, I would, if you removed Lampard, I would have played that line under almost every other manager we've had for the last decade. Yeah. But with super Frank. I, <laughs> yeah, you never know. What's gonna happen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's take our last break and then rip through our last two matches and get you out of here. Okay, so we are back and we are heading to Tottenham, fifth at 50 points versus Brighton, sixth at 46 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. The Spurs are plus 155, Brighton is plus 165, Caesars has the draw at plus 240. The Spurs minus half a goal is plus 155, and Brighton is minus 195. So, Brett, uh, Brighton have not played against a big six club since January 14th. So this has been almost three months since we've really discussed them on the pod. Do you want to catch us up on what's going on down at Seaside? Because they've they've been on a tear. 
Uh, do you know how many losses they have in all competitions so far this calendar year since January 1st? Uh, no, I don't know those things. Zero? One. One. They've only lost one game. Okay. They have 10 wins, four draws, and one loss in all competitions. So what are you seeing uh, that you can tell our audience about to make them take Brighton seriously, especially when the official motto of this pod is Fade Spurs? Yeah, well, that is definitely it's the new name of the podcast from the well of sadness. Williams goes from the well of sadness, (laughs) fade spurs. Um, Yeah, so uh, with Brighton, it's interesting. So they've found uh, the Irish Holland, a young, young laddie. uh, Well, it's more Scottish um, (laughs) Irish uh, attacker, Evan Ferguson. He's kind of come into the picture here. He's been really good. He scored against Bournemouth. Um, but the thing about, about Brighton is like, there's just no weak links on this team. It's, it's, we kind of talked about this unite with United when Casemiro is in the lineup, like part of the reason why they've been good in this weird year is like, no, nothing drags them down. There's not a player or a player or two that are in the starting 11. That is just a black hole in some form or fashion, you know, doesn't do anything in attack or hurts them in defense, whatever. Everybody on Brighton does something good, productive towards winning. Um, Ferguson is the cherry on the top. Having the ability to find a young, possibly really talented attacker like that is fantastic for a team like Brighton. Like that's what changes their level, essentially. Um, But their other attackers have been good. Uh, I love Matoma. I think he's really good. I think he's like a player that just could sneakily end up on City for 40 million and then score 15 goals over the course of the year. Sully March has went from kind of like a bit player to actually like a sort of above average attacker in a weird thing. So Roberto Deserby making his money is worth on that turn of events right there. Um, and I, and I, I love, um, I don't know. I still don't know if he's actually good, especially with the ball. Um, but Moises Caicedo is, is all over the pitch. He is like your best hope for Chelsea to find a Conte clone. Um, He's really good. He ties a lot of things together. He pairs with Alexis McAllister, who is part of the Argentina World Cup team. McAllister isn't like a great goal threat or like an incredible passer, but he he defends really well for like an attacking mid. He does just about everything above average. And then you got Pascal Gross, kind of the old head there. Um, And I've loved Adam Webster for a long time. He's a really, really good ball progressing, ball playing center back. If he was more athletic, he'd basically be a god. <laughs> um, but he kind of lumbers around. He's 6'3". He's not super athletic. Um, and I think that's what holds him back while we're not seeing him linked to bigger clubs all the time. But him and Lewis Dunk, who's been with Brighton since they came up, like the Chris Hutton years and everything, um, part of the Duncan Duffy, Shane Duffy, Everton legend shout out here. Um, back line. He's just been a, a really, he's always been a really steady defender. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're just solid. Like they're just good. Like the, every single one of those guys brings something to the table, which when you look at a lot of these teams, there's huge gaps, you know, Chelsea, it's like if they play with three attackers, that third attacker doesn't always have the juice that they need, you know, with Liverpool, we've talked about their midfield when United with Casemiro's out, it's like, you're going with Fred and or McTominay in that midfield. That's a hole. Um, so like Brighton just doesn't have that. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing them here. And this is a huge match. Like they're going to be in the thick of the champions league race. If they win this, if they take these three points, they are going to be right there. We are talking about tiny little Brighton and Hove Albion 
owned by a gambler who made enough money to buy his hometown team. Talk about giving our listeners hope, Toby. You can do this. Buy your own Brighton. It would be such a cool story. And they're such a smartly run club. I I think this is, uh, this is great. Unfortunately, I'm not sold that this is a great matchup because they are very open under our boy, Robbie. Um, And I think that Spurs is one thing that they can kind of sort of do is they can counter and they're going to have chances to get poor Adam Webster in space. Sun might break the schneid, but I do think that Brighton is going to pile on the pressure. I like the draw plus 240. I think that's the best value. Um, And then as far as like a prop, I went big, Toby. Two goals in either direction for one of the Spurs attackers. Sun is plus 2,000. He is well set up to get on the score sheet for this game. And I think this game is going to have multiple goals from each team. And then Harry Kane is plus 200 for basically the same line, two or more goals. I think those are good props. These Brighton games have gotten a little nutty. They're a lot more open than they were under Potter. Um, I think this could actually be a really fun, exciting match. I hope Brighton wins, but I still think the draw is the best play. Cool. My counter is fade Spurs. <laughs> I don't see how you said all those nice things about Brighton and then came back and gave a bunch of Spurs props and at least the draw. Give me uh, because I watched Dominic Solanke run unchecked into the penalty area a bunch in their game against Bournemouth and it gave me pause. <laughs> fade Spurs. Give me Brighton plus 165. And I am on you on uh, on the openness of the game and there being potential for lots of goals. So I think the best bet is the over on two and a half goals. It's only minus 120. I think that you should have a lot more juice on it, given the fact that yeah. uh, you're taking multiple attackers to score multiple goals. And that Brighton has been playing just straight bangers against six big six clubs this year. Like they have not been playing scared. They have not been turtling. They have not been parked in any buses. Oh, they, they are will straight definitely going not be after doing that. everybody. No uh, so six of the seven times they played a big six teams this year, they went over two and a half goals. And it's usually not even close. They're like four, five, six. Yeah, I think even seven goal bangers. Of course, if you want to be on the other side of this, the one of the seven was the reverse match against Spurs, which was a pretty uh, drab one nil to the Spurs. But Brighton is third this year in average goals per match. Spurs are fourth, despite um, how much I don't like them. I think this is going to be the most exciting match of the weekend for the neutral and have the over at minus 120 is going to be a really super fun ticket to have. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Tune into this match. I think it's going to be the best one the whole weekend. Yep. All right, well, let's get to the worst one of the whole weekend but to close out. <laughs> we'll be to the five pint real quick here. Yeah. Uh, Southampton, 20th at 23 points versus Man City, second at 64 points. Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Manchester City is minus 430. Southampton is plus 1,200. The draw is plus 470. Our friends at Caesars have adjusted the line for Manchester City on the minus goal and a half to minus 135. Southampton is plus 105. Five. Uh, so it would just be a repeat of every single week to talk about how great City yeah. is. Um, they dismantled Liverpool without Holland, without Foden, and they beat the tar off of them 4-1. Incredible ball movement, incredible action. KDB was excellent as always. So happy that uh, they seem to have made peace right now so we can watch him paint with his artistic left foot and right foot every single weekend. Um, they're awesome. I was looking at SPI, uh, the 538 SPI for, for those of you who aren't nerds mm-hmm. like us, their SPI is, is nuts. Like yeah. even 
even when yeah. we were looking at them like last year when they were like juggernauts or two years ago, they're juggernauts. They're like SPI was sitting at like 87, 88. They're up to 93.1 right now, uh, which it, it, I mean, they're like running laps around the rest of the world in terms of objective quality by measurable stats. And they're still eight points back in the table. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're a joy to watch. I don't know if they're going to win the Premier League. I am confident if they don't, they will be the best team to never to best side to finish second in a Premier League in any given season because they are mesmerizing and they're playing the team that's at the bottom of the table. Um, my only hesitation in this game to like adjust it way up minus two and a half is plus one eighty, or you can keep going uh, higher. The reverse fixture was four zero, just to give you another data point. But they play Bayern Munich in the most important game of probably their season um, on Tuesday in the Champions League quarterfinal. And I have absolutely no idea what lineup we are going to see. Because if you uh, could draw up a dream Premier League opponent for them beforehand, it would be Southampton. They could rotate the absolute crap out of their squad and like start almost, you know, like a Carabao Cup level squad here. Like I have no idea what they're actually going to do. I know they don't want to give up the title race, um, and they're not going to give up the title race, but I don't, I don't expect to see Holland. For example, we obviously aren't going to see Foden for the rest of the year. I can see them, you know, taking KDB out. And once you do all that, I'm not going to take them up to like two and a half or three and a half. So I did stick with them on the adjusted and minus the goal and a half. Uh, and, and I took them on my prop, which is my, uh, my preferred way to do it. City clean sheet is minus minus one sixteen. but in God's honest truth, I'm going to stay away from this game entirely until I see the lineup. Yeah, I mean, my my thing is basically they've been really stingy since uh, since Pep went to four center backs, basically with that Stones, uh, Aki, Akatji, um, Diaz lineup. And so the city clean sheet win was actually a really good number at minus 116. It's, again, it doesn't look like it whenever there's a minus in front of it. Um, but Southampton's really struggles to score. The uh, city has been back to shutting teams down with that kind of back four, which is really like a back three with stones moving into the midfield. Um, so yeah, I took them with the normal adjusted spread and then I took the, the clean sheet win. I mean, Southampton's last on the table. They're not the worst team in the league, but they're still not good. Yeah. Well, we'll have more to say about them next week after this incredible match against Bayern. Um, on SPI, Bayern is the second best team in the world. And this is the competition that matters the most to both teams. So on Tuesday, like if you skip the entire Premier League weekend, do anything you can to watch on Tuesday when City take on yeah, Bayern because it absolutely. is it is the best possible matchup in world soccer right now. We're going to get it twice in the next two weeks. So very exciting times. Um, all right, let's get out of here, Brett. Let's do the five pint and then give people uh, some some time where they don't have to hear about Everton defenders scoring for a nice break for a week. Uh, so we were both profitable. I'm slightly more profitable than you last week. You did extraordinarily well on uh, a bet that both of us uh, recognize that we love Trippier anytime assist really came through for you. So great one there. That was what plus three forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm up. I'm up six point six to six point three. But it's nice that we're both profitable last week. It's been a while since we were both profitable. I'll put my own hand up for screwing that up for a little while. Um, <laughs> For this week, though, I'm feeling really good, and I'm going repeating the strategy I did last week of four plus money bets. So I'm opening up with Arsenal to win at plus 140. I'm taking Jesus, two or more shots on target at plus 125. I'm taking that Manchester United Everton corner bet over 9.5 at minus 122. 
that I am going to, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Chelsea win both teams score at plus three forty, and then Brighton on the money line, baby fade Spurs for plus one sixty five. <laughs> uh, I, I, we have a similar bets here, but not all the same. Um, I have Arsenal as well that had to make the five point there uh, plus one forty to win. I had the Jesus. I went with the Jesus anytime goal scorer. So I went with the plus two sixty for a pint. Uh, then I went with the Brighton and Spurs draw. I couldn't get all the way to the win. Uh, plus two sixty for a pint. Uh, and I am going with Kane, two or more goals at plus six hundred for a pint. Uh, and then the City clean sheet win also for a pint. So those are my five pints. Hopefully we can keep the good times rolling for people. All right, everybody. Well, we will be back next week with hopefully some more good times. Less Everton defender talk. I'm going to have a little talk with Brett off the air about <laughs> spending 20 minutes on absolute insanity. But we'll cut up a break. the show, in my opinion. <laughs> we'll cut up a break this week. Uh, so enjoy the games this weekend. As I said, turn into the Champions League, City, Bayern. If you hate yourself, Madrid, Chelsea, as Madrid scores seven times on the counterattack with six percent of the ball they might have more goals than Vinny versus frank it's it's going to be incredible but we'll be back next week to talk about those matches uh with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by extra analysis take care everyone <laughs> <laughs>